0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course... I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Waziland Bray. Nando is vacationing on the coast of Spain. Uh, he's going to be gone for two weeks while he is jet-setting in Europe. Uh, I think he's going to stop in Ibiza. He's doing all kinds of jet-setting, you know, uh, impresario type of things. But we got a wonderful guest, man. Want to welcome back to the show, my brother Bertrand Cooper. You've read him in the New York Times and Current Affairs. He's a former woke bros guest. Bert, welcome back to the show, brother.
2: Waz, thank you, thank you for that intro. I feel I feel real special, but yeah. Nah,
1: man, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because you know I remember reading your joint in Current Affairs and and just being blown away by like just the astute observation about how elites basically get to shape the dominant narrative of what's black culture um, and and how annoying it can tend to be and how, you know, elites just flatten blackness and, and how ridiculous it is. Um, but currently, man, you recently had a, a fun... A very fun exchange on Twitter, which is the main thrust of why I wanted to have you on today. You had a very fun exchange on Twitter with a guy named William Sandy Darity Jr. He's a professor. Is he a professor of economics at Duke?
2: Oh, I believe he's economics, although he operates heavily in sociology. He's really at that intersection.
1: Okay, he's at the intersection of economics and sociology at Duke University. He's a big deal in, you know, black elite academic circles. I mean, once you're like a big deal at Duke and you're black, you're going to be a big deal in black academic circles. That's just how it goes. Like, the bigger your title, the bigger you are. Um, And you guys had a pretty cool exchange. Um, and And, you know, I just want to sum it up. For the people where he was just basically like, yo, class don't explain race. All right? So shut up. You you <laughs> class reductionists. You <laughs> idiots. Class doesn't factor in race. It's a waste of our times. And plus, once you look at the racial wealth gap, you see that race is everything, Bert. Like race is the number one indicator of everything. Never mind that dudes like Darity get to even be professors at Duke University at all, right? Like, never mind that. It's race, right? Right, Bertram?
2: I mean, that's what I learned from that exchange. I mostly came on here as kind of a you know first stop <laughs> on the apology tour. Like, I had it wrong. You know, this is all my plot just to come back here and tell you I had a I made a mistake. You can even read that CA piece; just throw that shit in the trash, man. Um, but no, this was this was a really interesting exchange for me, just because. Uh, so Doherty is a second generation Black academic, so like he's mm-hmm. a professor, his dad was a professor, and he's been writing about this, you know, the racial wealth gap for a long, long time. Many folks will have seen his name paired with Derek Hamilton and a few other uh, collaborators. Um, If you've seen the racial wealth gap depicted, you've probably seen his work. You've seen him cited. He's both a source for The Atlantic and has gone to write for them before. And so the entire grounds of the racial wealth gap conversation, it really rests a lot on how he frames it. Um, and just stepping back. And how
1: does he frame it for those who don't, who aren't really familiar with the conversation or the narrative, excuse me, around the racial wealth gap here in America and how nothing has changed since slavery, (laughs) right? Bert?
2: (laughs) (laughs) The framing is very easy to do. Um, we do a race wide median. So we take all the white folks, we take all the black folks and we say what the median wealth for both those groups are. And this changes depending on the year, because obviously uh, how much people are making each year changes. But normally, what you get is you'll be told that the uh, median white wealth um, is around, say, 120,000, and the median black wealth is normally around 10,000 or so. If we're going by these numbers right here, and then what's you know useful about Doherty's work is that a lot of times you know he splits. Both black and white folks into quintiles, which just means taking everybody and splitting them into five different groups, so that you can see at each income level. Okay, I'm going to take black families that are earning between fifty-four thousand and seventy-four thousand dollars a year and compare their wealth to what? Uh, compare their wealth to white folks earning the same, and I'll see again that you know the white folks have more wealth, even though they're earning the same income. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at this graph, the way it's framed is really it is about a interracial comparison, the information you need to do a black class comparison, i will just call that out. It's all there in the same graph. I don't like making my own graphs because people are going to be like, yo, look at this, you know, light-skinned quadroon motherfucker making <laughs> up his own numbers and shit. So I use other people's graphs <laughs> so that there can be no debate about whether or not you trust the graph because you're already trust- trusting in these other arenas. So using Darty's graph, if you want to, you can do a black the black comparison. Now, this is how it's framed: race-wide median. You know, white folks normally have about ten times, somewhere between ten to fifteen times, more median wealth than black folks. Or they go income quintile by income quintile. White middle-class folks have several times more than black middle-class folks. That information is all important. What I got to ask Dari on Twitter though was, how come he doesn't formalize black class comparisons the same way? Because what he said to me initially was he never denied that there were disparities between black classes, but there's a big difference between denying something exists and actually articulating it in a way that says it's important and makes it, you know, understandable to people because, you know, he's doing these really simple calculations. Oh, white folks have two to three times more than black folks at this income level. He doesn't do that with black folks. He doesn't do a really simple Mm. comparison. He doesn't draw attention to it. And- When I asked him that what he said to me is, it would be uh, a misleading experiment to do, to do that class comparison between black folks, and it's misleading specifically because the overall black wealth is so low, it's kind of like, what's the point of doing this black class comparison. And we can dig into the why of that, but that's really the story. Well,
1: and I do want to dig into the why because, like, you know, I, I've heard that the the, the the basically people are just like people who are critics of this racial wealth gap analysis is like 10 more Oprahs and we're basically closing this damn gap. <laughs> um and, and while also not fixing a single fucking thing. For the greater white masses. Um, I've heard that as, I mean, excuse me, black masses. I've heard that as one critique. What's your main critique with the saliency of a racial wealth gap and why we should even
2: be thinking about it, just generally speaking? So something that everybody has heard before is not all black people are poor. Not all black people are poor. There's no point in saying that unless there's meaningful differences between black classes. So let's get into it again using, this is a graph from Darity's report 2015 called Umbrellas Don't Make It Rain. In that he's got black and white folks split into five different groups, each by quintile, by their income. All right, here's my main issue. When people, lay folks, people who don't study statistics a lot are hearing you know, this racial median, they're filling in the gaps. They're filling in, trying to be like, what's the point of this median? and they're assuming it's telling them something meaningful about the economic lives of most black people the Mm. issue is that a median just describes a middle of a range and it gets less and less useful the wider that range american income wealth is a pretty wide range so knowing the middle the median of that tells you you know increasingly little about people living away from the middle so you jump into Quintile one, this is black folks who are bottom 20% of income earners. They're in poverty. In 2015, the race-wide, out up all the black folks, the median wealth there was $7,113. The median wealth for the bottom black 20% was $100. Bucks. So they had 1.5% of the race-wide median. The race-wide median was 71 times what they had. You go up one more quintile. All right, this is going to be folks who are bottom of working class, bottom, you know, lower middle if you want, teetering on the edge of poverty. Depending on their family size, they do count as federally poor. They have about 60% of the race-wide median. So doing better than the bottom, but still only a fraction of what this race-wide median is presenting in Doherty's report. Go up to Q3. This is actually the middle class. This is what everyone will consider the middle class. In today's dollars, it's, you know, folks making between $54,000 and $74,000 a year, they have double the race wide median. And that puts them at about 140 times the wealth of the, you know, bottom black 20%. Go up to next quintile. This is your upper middle class. This is the real sweet spot for black folks going to Ivy League schools and whatnot. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) What
2: you get here, you're like $74,000 to $94,000 a year. And these folks have a median wealth of 42,000 at this time. So, wow, six times the race-wide median, one last quintile to go. All right. So this is folks who in today's dollars, <laughs> top 20% of black folks, they be making hundred thousand dollars or more. They have a median wealth, according to Daugherty, of around $140,000. Uh, that's their median wealth It is some 20 times greater than the race-wide median. It is 1,380 times greater than what the black bottom 20% has, and it dovetails very, very neatly with income data coming out of Pew uh, around 2019, where from 1970 to 2016, black folks at the top 10% of the income distribution were earning about 10 times more than black folks in the bottom 10%, so that any given year, over the last five years, Black folks and Asians are vying for which group can have the most income inequality within the race. And just to frame these for people, because I'm throwing out a lot of numbers here. Yeah,
1: please frame
2: that. The gap between Black folks at the top 20% and the bottom 20%, the wealth gap between those two, it's 66 times larger than the gap on the white side. The gap on the white side between the top 20 and bottom 20 is considered serious enough to undergird that entire class conversation it's serious enough to do occupy wall street serious enough to in two different directions create class sentiments that can power bernie sanders on one hand and donald trump on another but a gap 66 times larger than that between black folks at the top and bottom is misleading to cover so, man, I, I there's so much, there's just so much
1: to unpack there because I want to make it a little bit more plain for people who are listening to this, and again, like you said, might not be as proficient in interpreting statistics as others. Um, to your mind, what what does it say about blacks and wealth and class disparities? since the 70s, basically since post-civil rights era, right? Like, that's what yeah. we're talking about. Post-voting rights, post, um, you know, the war on poverty, post, like, highly racialized um, programs um, from the government to bring people into, you know, elite institution, patronage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is, what is the story of the statistics you just gave us just now Bertram
2: for sure um so in most of us have experienced this and uh, you know I'm assuming a lot of the folks who are listening to this have an understanding that my economic strength my income and my wealth dictates my ability to take advantage of really most programs that you might even offer me you know it sets the grounds of competition I'm going to get mm-hmm. to the history but we can jump to a real clear example real quick um, If HBO decides to have a diversity initiative for writers, but they have no concept of class, it means that should a black person from a poor uh, family apply. There's just no fucking chance they're getting that job. Pretty much. They have to just apply in a class-blind program with somebody who Mm. may have, again, (laughs) over a thousand times more wealth than them. And that's going to play a factor in terms of, you know, whether they can take an unpaid uh, internship that's being built as an initiative to build like more black folks in a program. But let's get into the history. Since we have been unwilling to deal with class at any of these points, like we're not willing to articulate class, all of this this whole history of programs being done for black folks, they're almost always class blind or to a large degree, they're class blind. And, you know, somebody that I reference a lot is William Julius Wilson. He wrote the declining significance of race. His second book, when work disappears was, I think you'll appreciate this was part of the inspiration for the wire season two or season three. Wow. Um, He's also considered like really the father of urban sociology. Um, Grew up poor and black. I want to say from Ohio Uh, could be PA. Anyway, he's writing between nine, 1978, 19, like 83, he's looking at Black folks right after, um, you know, the passage of all this civil rights legislation right on the other side of the civil rights era. And what he's finding is so that when he goes into these poor Black neighborhoods, over 70% of the Black folks raised in this post-civil rights era are still poor, and they are the children of the poor families from before. And he puts <laughs> this theory that So essentially what happened is that all of these programs for racial uplift were designed specifically to get whatever black folks they could in the door. And most of how this was done very often was through say like, I'll I'll give it's multi factor but one is federal jobs. It's can Mm -hmm. you get a job at the post office? Can you get a job, you know, working government, anything? Which for a variety of reasons are not always accessible to poor folks, particularly poor folks who may or may not have a record or may be living in a wow. zip code that's considered undesirable when uh you know a future employer asks you why you're living. And this in a whole number of ways basically allows the, you know, all these packages for racial progress to be concentrated on the middle and upper class. Uh William Julius Wilson calls attention to this. Nobody gives a shit. In the second edition of his book. <laughs> He writes in the epilogue when he brought this information to all of his colleagues, they pretty much said, <laughs> not too far off of what I got on Twitter. Um, with all black folks struggling, like, why draw attention to this? It almost sounds like you're saying the black but all black, black
1: folks aren't struggling.
2: Correct. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a big a big thing to include in this, and this is for you know poor folks of all color, we can for policy reasons do a race wide median like I can say that the median wealth of black folks is XYZ. But if I'm a broke person with 1.5% of that, I can't call up a wealthy black family and be like, yo, can I get some of that black wealth that we all collectively own the same way that you know, some white dude who's in poverty can't be like, yo, Bill Gates, can I get that sweet loan? Because this is the white wealth we all have access to, right? There's Some real gaps here in how we interpret this information. So, you know, you're going from William Julius Wilson, pointing it out, nobody cares. He has a protege named Patrick Sharkey who does the same thing, but for, instead of just poverty and income, he does it for ghetto neighborhoods and finds that, you know, that very next generation, some 70 plus percent of folks who are living in the ghetto now were born in it and their parents were living in it. We come up to the present, uh, Raj Chetty gets to do this with big data, gets to have access to some 20 million uh, de-identified like IRS tax records and track, like he's not even modeling. This is important for people to understand. He's not modeling, he's being allowed to track 20 million children, and just tell you where they ended up based off their parents. And again, we're finding that 70% or a little bit over for black folks, and I should say also for ind- indigenous folks growing up in poverty, they're staying poor. This would be like mine in your generation, you know, more or less Chetty was looking at folks born like right at the last minute of generation x so you get to this point where we have most black people in poverty they're going to be second generation at the least many of them are going to be third fourth fifth generation poor going back to pre-civil rights um the only way i can think that you would address this is to actually acknowledge these class disparities exactly exactly you you get told that they're not relevant or that you're being a class reductionist or you're not appreciating the way that race interrelates to all of these things, <laughs> which is like, that's okay. not true. Yeah. You don't, re- because it doesn't take
1: like folks got to understand. It doesn't take a lot to intuit race's role in perpetuating the class norms. Right. Yeah. A lot of it is you need this permanent underclass of black people as a sign to the underclass of whites, like, at least you're not that. Look, look at that. Divert your eyes from the white people who are doing great. Stop. Stop looking at that. Start being grateful that you are not living in squalor like this group of black people. That's the, the that's the purpose of it. It's to perpetuate the same stuff, but keep the, the masses of the poor whites, their eyes off the ball. Like, no, no, no. You're looking in the wrong direction. The people with all the money, the people with all the power, all the influence. No, stop paying attention to that. And pay attention to this underclass and be glad you're not
2: part of it. And that gets to that idea of like psychological wages, where like instead of paying white trash folks like with actual opportunity, you pay them with the privilege of looking like the people who lead, and that's yes. what by while they're living in you know squalor in other places. And I I bring this up because. A lot of times I got to look at scans of people offering to me, which seems like the very same deal for the black poor, like the representation politics. Like, isn't this the oh mass psychological wages that you pay to like white half of my family? Like, I let me tell you something. That
1: let me tell you something. My man, Ethan Strauss, he he said something brilliant to me the other day. He said representation politics is trickle down economics for libs." It's this idea that like, it's just magically going to touch you from the top. Like it's just going to, all of the benefits that accrue to an already, you know, elite class of black people, we're going to accrue all the benefits to them, nothing to you. And then just by osmosis, it's just going to, it's just going to touch you from that top and it's complete bullshit. And, You know, and it's important what you're mentioning because I do want to circle back to something. Um, All of the programs that would have helped any black people at all, even though they like they start to diminish the further and further we get from the civil rights. Right. Like this, this sort of redistributive programs, like the more they diminish, the few opportunities that exist is basically just patronage into elite institutions, Which, by definition, there can only be a few slots. They're elite. Like, that's the definition of elite. Like, there's only a few. And so, like, all you get now is, like... And I use this as an example. A chick who gets to have a show on MSNBC. A black (laughs) dude who gets to be on Goldman's board. A black dude who gets to work at Raytheon. Like, you get all of this representation shit. None of it is redistributive. And then, again... This stuff gets reinforced because the only people with access and proximity to the levers of power, of course, they're stumping for these programs and this patronage because they're the closest to it. So they are self-interested in being like, yo, of course, what black people need is a black vice president. Of (laughs) course, what black people need is a black Supreme Court judge. That's what black people need. Black people don't need nothing else. We need to make these elite spaces more diverse and nothing else. Because if the opportunity to get there is just as hard for Black people as it is for poor whites, the country is perfect. And the only way you can feel that way is if you are within close proximity of reaching those spaces. The only way you can feel like what Black people are missing, the problem with the Blacks, Is that at my job that I get paid $150,000 to do, a white woman might ask me about my hair. That is what is afflicting black people. The only way you could think that is if you're in that space. You you have to be self-interested in that line of thinking to even consider that to be what afflicts the masses of black people.
3: Hello, listener. Guess who's back?
2: And, you know, off your points, a lot goes into making those sort of uh, calculations like possible. Like, even though I have this, you know, I honestly didn't know that D'Arty was going to jump in like that. I certainly didn't know that that was going to be his response to me asking that question. But, you know, I'm not going to uh, assume intent on Darty, but his research is largely used as one of these tools that can be That can can make class meaningless among black folks that can make it so that we maintain this idea that goes back a very long time where you can have a negro leader doing race relations that like black people are so similar that as long as you get one black person they're going to be attuned to the group and adolph reed jr has written about this really beautifully on like non-site but um just to shout him out but yeah you have this system that runs Based on you saying, if I get a black person into any of these spots, I can trust that they just speak for the group. And that creates a lot of perverse incentives. One, it incentivizes you to ignore class entirely because, you know, black America says class. I just want to know
1: how people can say to me that Michelle Obama has the same problems as a single mom in, in Watts. How can you, like, say that?
2: you can say it because people have worked very hard at pitching that idea to folks like i'll give you know one of my favorite examples just has to do with incarceration that came up in the twitter discussion people still write about uh black incarceration they write about it as the black problem you know they phrased it the way i did these black incarceration rates when you look into the numbers eight out of every ten prisoners is po- you know is in poverty before they go to court so we have 80 percent of this being harvested from one class of black folks but it's billed as a black problem because it is advantageous to imagine that incarceration is just floating out in the ether out there snatching black folks (laughs) at random with absolutely no concern for you know economic vulnerability and if you can keep pitching that idea until eventually you have a white liberal populace who really thinks that all of these ills exist in the same space because that's what they think they think that one day you're ducking the police, ducking getting your skull cracked in. And the next day, some white person at a coffee shop's trying to touch your hair. And that these are all happening at <laughs> random in the same oppressive face, as opposed to like <laughs> these are different lives most of the time. And yeah. anytime we've surveyed black people on their experiences of racism and then divided by class, they report different experiences they don't even define racism in the the same same way yeah so
1: and and you know i think it's and michelle obama too is i think instructive too because she is from the south side of chicago um definitely not from definitely from a working class family but definitely not from the poorest people of the south side Right. So she went to school, she gets into Princeton or Yale, wherever the fuck she went. And now she's, you know, fucking Michelle Obama. And it's just this idea I am one of you. I come from these neighborhoods. I'm from the South Side, even though my experience is not that of, you know, somebody with a heroin addict, pops and a, a, a mother who couldn't keep a job. That wasn't really my experience, but I'm from these neighborhoods. I'm black. And so, yeah, I can tell you about the black experience, Bertrand, in so much as there is a such thing as the black experience.
2: That's so much of the problem, you know, and something that I try to touch on. It's like, These folks are not taking the opportunity to carve out an authentically black experience, uh, you know, identity. that doesn't have to do shit with having a heroin addicted like parent. Like you don't even have to play that game. You don't have to decide to say, oh, the only way you can be really black is to put yourself in some proximity to Chicago. South." Like I I would tell people I want to say it's 60 minutes on Barack Obama during like his first run and at that time and this would be a shock to people who are like you know younger who are like full-on gen z but people used to ask questions about class and background really explicitly so at one point the interviewer just like what do you have to say and he's talking to obama uh to people who don't think you're black enough and when they cut from that question to actually having obama answer it they make sure he's in like an suv that you got the south side like brown brick projects in the background and he's saying shit like Oh, nobody asked me that, you know, when I'm playing basketball or at the barbershop, because what the fuck is blacker than barbershops and basketball? So that's a great answer. And then they round out the clip with like asking Michelle, she's afraid, you know, that something might happen to, uh, you know, Brock, like he might get shot at some point. she's like, well, the reality is that, you know, Brock's as a black man can get shot any day. And
3: it's like, dude, <laughs> dude.
2: this is specifically built around like they know that for Obama to be treated as authentic by whatever the power structures are, they need to connect him with these stereotypes of, you know, playing basketball in the ghetto, getting his hair cut, chopping it up with all the other brothers, and that he's <laughs> offering constant risk.
3: Singing
1: Amazing that. Grace.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it is just as fabricated and ridiculous as, you know, when white conservatives who went to Yale— have to roll up right. their chambray shirts and stand in front of a Coors Light factory as a jet flies <laughs> off the background. Like, this is all performance. It's pageantry.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I want to get to the second po- The, like, I think the more, like, in the ether part of this. Um, and not that it matters. But do we think that, like, the black elites are doing this consciously? Or is it just you do what is in your self-interest to do, basically no matter what? Like, wh- wh- like how how are we supposed to feel when Joy Ann Reed gets on MSNBC and says black people don't care about health care? You know, like when she's talking about Bernie Sanders and you know his agenda ain't black enough as compared to Hillary fucking Clinton. <laughs> Like what are we supposed to think when the black elite moves in these ways where this guy's just basically like the distinctions amongst the classes of black people, like, like this, this, this lack of just, just admitting that like the programs, the things that would have helped black people only helped upper crust blacks and nobody else. And like, the importance of acknowledging that and maybe changing how we go about how we quote unquote help black people. Are they doing this consciously or is it just like, yo, this is what
2: people do when it's in their self-interest? I put it in a few different buckets. Everyone who is like over 30 is doing the shit on purpose. You all remember (laughs) Class in Black America. You watched the same shows that I did. You heard all the old black civil rights leaders shit on hip hop. Saying we're not all poor, talking to class politics. You remember the, wow. yeah. the respectability politics. You know it. If you are under thirty, damn the change in the landscape is such that I think you could be naive about this for a very, very long time. Like you are mm-hmm. being told really aggressively that all these forms of oppression really do exist in the same spot. Like I was interested in this stuff. I was going to graduate school in 2014, around you know the second wave of Ferguson. Adolph Reed, William Julius Wilson, these other black dudes who knew more than me and had a class inflection, they're not part of the curriculum. It really was possible to not know, like, is my experience of poverty, what I saw really just, okay, this is South Jersey and it's not applicable to the rest of the United States. And if I hadn't, you know, been born in 88, gotten to watch all those shows, gotten to see all the old heads, gotten to see all the fighting in my grandmother's church about low-class black people, if all I had was what I was being told by like pop culture now, Shit, I might believe it. I might believe that there's no uh, real class differences among uh, Black Americans. And it doesn't help that when you're in those classes, this is another thing that, you know, was really profound for me again and getting to talk to Darty, Like the other side of, you know, 90% of poor Black high schoolers not graduating with a bachelor's degree is that none of these folks have to articulate their opinion, their point of view, their questions to an audience of like a lot of Black poor people would be like, Yo, I call it bullshit. Like, that's just nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: but yeah, I would I would love to hear one of these black elites or intellectuals or whatever use the term massage noir in Brownsville, Brooklyn. It just wouldn't go over well.
2: <laughs> it just wouldn't go over well. And you know, the thing is, like I, I would implore the audience, like just start Google searching, like surveys of black opinions so that you can see what the black population thinks. And there's times on this whole massage and war thing, like it's just relevant to me right, right now. It's like I'm not always happy with the poor black response on these issues. Like there's many no, times of that I'm not, not
1: happy. We, we uh, got, they, they gotta do a little bit better at, yeah. at some of their conservatism for sure. <laughs>
2: and uh, yeah, they they just have these surveys, like really good ones that came out this year, where they ask different groups of black people. Like they'll ask one group of black people about another group, and they'll say, "Do you feel you have?" most or everything in common with this group, a few things or next to nothing. And like, something that's really funny is that even when they ask upper class, like blacks, this is according to Pew, upper class. So people probably in the top 20%, how much they have in common, like, do they have everything in common with wealthy blacks? And like, most of them say no. So I don't know who they think the wealthy blacks are. <laughs> <laughs> the upper class black people don't think it's them.
1: I love that. I love that. They they think they have in common with, I'm always on the brink of being pulled over in my car. Yo, I had this conversation with my buddy who lives in my neighborhood here in the Valley. Okay. And I asked him, I was like, you've been in LA for a year and a half. Um, how many times have you been pulled over? And he's like, Never. <laughs> he's he's had a car the whole time um he's had a nice car he drives a lexus i'm like yo how many times have you been pulled over he's like nah never and but he used to live in bedside brooklyn which is like it's one of those weird places where um you know there are gentrifying ass blacks which is what he was <laughs> plus the indigenous population of some cats that are living in Section 8. You know, you live across the street from basically a halfway house type of situation, right across the street from a condo, from a yeah. condominium. And so he was like, yo, at least two times a year I would get pulled over by the cops in bed Like, I'm just looking for parking in my own neighborhood. And like, two times a year, but again, where is he living at? Exactly. You know, the second you get to a spot where you're living at blacks who are all affluent,
2: yeah. gone
1: <laughs> it's
2: fucking uh,
1: gone
2: <laughs> uh Tony armor you know nigger theory has talked about this he's talked about living in black beverly hills in the way that his neighbors talk about his kids having friends out of like watts neighborhoods and stuff like that like the classism is real and i something that i i try to be honest about or at least in the writings that i'm doing is like i was in poverty i was in poverty until i was 26 and You know, these class terms, like I use them because they're a language that can frame it, but I'm going to switch from that for a second. Um, I was living on less than $20,000 a year, most years, uh, up until I was 26. And then I got to have this massive jump to the middle class, basically doubling what I was making. If you know the value of a dollar, the difference between like living on 26 and living on like uh, 55,000, it's massive. And then over the last few years, I've gotten to keep moving up. In, um, like an ed tech space, so that the last two years I just and this is in part because I don't have children, uh, but I'm in that top 20, uh, now where like I've crossed over into the six figures. There is nothing in my life at all that has any resemblance to being the bottom 20, not a goddamn thing, fucking nothing. It's, I and listen, I came into this with like an open mind, like, I've always loved like the artsy independent films that are talking about existential angst and i watched these from like a unique perspective in my teens like i thought okay maybe if your life is good enough long enough you adjust and you start feeling you know suffering as acutely as these uh middle and upper class characters and it just didn't happen for me and i've been here for like years and like most days like nothing happens like i'm now on the side where only acts of god can harm me like somebody gets cancer or I get it, or like I get hit by a car. But other than that, there's no resemblance here. And I wonder if like, (laughs) I feel like if you've had that experience, if you've really had that, a lot of shit just doesn't make sense to you. You know, like how people forget about class other shit does make sense to you. I mean, and I'll say, this is just my opinion and it might be like very diverse, among other people on the left, but like whenever people are like, I don't understand why the American middle class isn't more interested, you know, in doing X, Y, or Z. And it's like, have you been here, bro? It is <laughs> like this shit is, Like it is so easy to just be distracted by how nice everything is if you make it with some money in America. Like I understand why. uh, Why well, these folks are so
1: oblivious? Yeah, yeah.
2: I don't support it, but it's easy to be oblivious when shit's like going this well for you, like to your point your friend moving i'm from like south jersey in a place that's like in the bottom of the hill landfill boys home county jail uh and you know projects i must have been pulled over like 17 times the first time i got like my parking i've had my car searched i've been pulled out of that motherfucker i moved to van Nuys, california which is a sleepy little suburb i haven't had a registered car in three years haven't been stopped once (laughs) (laughs) I will pull out anyone who wants. To talk to them, I'll pull the registration out. I will give you a copy of it. That's it. And I only got my California driver's license like a few months ago. The only thing I had, I do care about, this is I had the insurance. So if I had hit anybody, you would have been straight. You would have been fine. But right. Mission last <laughs> i do in life right now. Yo, I can't think
1: of a more perfect way to end this discussion. Bertrand, motherfucking Cooper, my boy. Um, Tell the people anything you got working on that they should be checking out. Tell the people they can find you online. Obviously, to me, you're one of my favorite voices on this because people just don't, I, I just think people just don't intuit these differences and why they matter. And who are the people who are constantly telling you that they don't? OK, who are the people who are constantly explaining to you that a Negro making 250 grand basically has the same existence as a Negro making 30? Like, just think about who's always the ones who are trying to drill that into you um, and think about why. But tell the people where they can find you, Bert.
2: All right, so, you know, I'm using Twitter for everything. So, like. If you just want to see my little random thoughts where I'm like upset about today's class news, you can go to Twitter. Thoughts <laughs> where I'm promoting the writing. Um, I should have a piece jumping off from the New York Times soon. Uh, draft oh, take a while. And then uh, that's, that's probably it. But you'll find, go to Twitter at underscore black trash. You'll see what I'm up to.
1: I love it. I love it, man. Uh, everybody, make sure, if you can, for a cup of coffee a month, go to patreon.com backslash counterdings, support Dings, all the other Dings offerings. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. We're out of here. Peace.